Well, we are in the final week of a series in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is just a little book in the Old Testament. Uh, we have followed Nehemiah through his journey to rebuild a wall. So I'll give you a little background. Nehemiah was taken captive. He was an Israelite, a Jew, and they were taken captive by the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians. There was a lot that went on. The Assyrians were a part of that too. But he finds himself, we find him in Persia under King Artaxerxes, and he is a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. Now, a cupbearer, very important job. You got a chance to taste the food or the drink that the king was going to drink. So you got all the best unless it was poisoned, and then you just got dead. So that was his job, very important. <clears throat> he was a high-ranking official, and they had been, the Israelites had been captive for 70 years. And that's where we pick up the story. We, we um, saw that God put a burden on his heart uh, because there was a wall around Jerusalem that had been tore down. It had been demolished over years of war, and so he felt like God wanted him to take a group back and rebuild the wall. So they faced the rubble, and they started the process. Now, the wall wasn't just any wall. It was a wall that was about as wide as from that wall to me, thick, and 25 feet tall. So taller, that's 22 and a half feet right up there. So it's a big, it's a big wall. And Nehemiah took a group of people and they started repairing the wall. And in 52 days, they completed the wall. Probably thousands of people involved in this wall. Donkeys, ropes, hands, lots of people. No cranes, no excavators, just a lot of hard work. So last week, we saw that... that uh, Nehemiah 3 has a whole list of people who helped build the wall. And they weren't the people we would think. They were not contractors or masons. They were goldsmiths, perfume makers, people like that. And we kind of scratched our head, at least I did, and said, that's crazy. Why would you need those people to rebuild a wall? <laughs> Wouldn't you want just the special people who were really good at that thing? But, but what we learned was that God is looking for us to be willing. He's not looking for just the talented. God's looking for people who are willing. After I <clears throat> preached that, I should have known, and I, I'm 50 years old, all right? I've lived a little bit. I should know if you're going to say something like that, if you're going to preach something like that, you better be careful because God's going to, either make me look like a hypocrite for saying everybody needs to be willing and then not me, or God's going to bring something along that's going to force me to, to know whether I'm willing or not. Well, it took God until Tuesday. And on Tuesday, my wife and I got a call from the Children and Youth Agency saying, hey, we got these kids, and uh, we know that you signed up for foster care. How about some kids? And this is actually what I texted Nicole. I said, well, 
I just preached about being willing. I guess we probably should say yes. <laughs> and I kind of felt like, ah, you dope. Why did you have to preach that sermon this week? But <clears throat> we brought in a two-year-old and a three-year-old <clears throat> into our family. Um, and that was on Tuesday. <clears throat> and I, I, I realize now that being willing, being willing is great, but that's just a first step. Because there's an awful lot God wants to teach willing people. And ultimately, he wants willing people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Well, just being willing doesn't make me a fully devoted follower of Jesus. There's, there are some things in my life that God's teaching me. And so now he takes willing people and he works on us and he works on us and he works on us to make us the kind of people that he wants us to be. And we see that in Nehemiah's life too. So the question I've been asking all week is, <clears throat> what's really a win? Like what's, what's truly a win in God's eyes? Is it for, for Brett Bixby to be willing or are there some things in my life that God would say, that's what I'm looking for? And so today, I want to look at Nehemiah's life, and I want to look at three character qualities of Nehemiah, but I think of, of any of us who want to be used to do big things for God. And there are probably more than three, but I just want to sit on three of them today. So three characteristics that were in Nehemiah's life that I think need to be in all of our lives that, that are past just being willing. Because I think as pleased as God is that, that any of us would be involved or be willing, as pleased as God is that, that volunteers would step up for VBS, as pleased as God is that somebody would do foster care, I think God is even more concerned at how we do those things than he is that we're willing to do those things. I think there is some how in there, and we're going to look at the how today. So three characteristics of Nehemiah's life. The first one is humbly recognize your need for God. Nehemiah, from chapter 1 on, gave us a great example of his need for God, his dependence on God. He, so he hears that the walls are broken down, and in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. So he was broken. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah's First reaction, he hears the walls are torn down in his mother country. He weeps, he's broken, he fasts and he prays. He demonstrates a, a huge dependence on God, but it doesn't stop there. Because then in chapter 2, we read that he goes into Artaxerxes and he's standing in front of the throne and he shows dependence again. It says, then in verse 4, it says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. He doesn't say, then I thought back to my plan. 
Then I, then I reflected back on all that I had thought I was going to do and thought, oh yeah, now I've got this and I'm going to sell him on this. And I'm going to manipulate King Artaxerxes and he's going to let me go. No, he says, you know what? I, I recognized again, oh no. <laughs> I need to humbly be dependent on God. And he prayed. I, I got to tell you that too often, I think, our, I think prayer becomes a last resort when it should be our first resort. Too often, prayer is a last resort. Too often, we say, I can handle this on my own, but if things get bad, I know where I can go. But that, that's not a dependence on God through prayer. I, I, think, I think God wants us to be dependent on him in prayer every moment of every day about everything. This is becoming more real to me as I have begun to pray since Tuesday night for things that I was not praying for before that. I am now praying for two hours of uninterrupted sleep at a time. That wasn't in my prayer life before that. Hadn't ever thought of it. I am praying that my that, that these children won't embarrass me. All right, I used to pray that about my teenagers a little bit, but, but not recently. I'm praying that, that we'll have a quiet ride in the, in the van. I used to pray that the kids would talk, that we could have a great conversation in the van. No conversations. I just want peace and quiet. Like It is crazy how... What I'm praying about has changed. I'm praying for a family that I didn't even know existed before Tuesday. I'm praying for two children every day that I didn't even know were on the face of the earth before Tuesday. I, God is teaching me a dependence on Him that I don't think I would even recognize or know or learn. If, if I hadn't been willing, God is working on me. And I think this characteristic of humbly recognize your need for God is huge. There, there, there are other times in, in Nehemiah where, where Nehemiah showed his dependence on God. Nehemiah 4, there's this guy, Sanballat. Now, Sanballat was a Horonite. Uh, he was a Samaritan leader, an official um, in, in an area of, of greater Iran, actually. And he, well, here's what he says in Nehemiah 4. It says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and, and the army of Samaria. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Okay, so Nehemiah's got a little bit of pushback going on. He's got an official who's got some clout who is poking at him a little bit. He's just trying to build this wall. We're just trying to build this wall. And Sanballat and his friends are making fun of him. Well, Nehemiah, what is he going to do? Is he going to fight the guy or is he going to show his dependence on God? Here's what, here's what it says. And then he prayed in verse 4. Hear us, O God, our God. 
for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Nehemiah says, I've got this. People, don't worry. I've got this. Okay, God. Um, yeah, could you deal with those people out there? Sanballat and his friends, they're killing our morale. Could you deal with them, God? I love that. He didn't organize a war party to go take them out in the middle of the night. He just showed his humble dependence on God. And I wonder if sometimes I spend a little too much time planning and conniving and figuring things out and not enough time humbly on my knees asking God to show up. Because God does show up. I heard a, a pastor talk about a church, a church board meeting one time, and the discussion was they were having a difficult problem. They didn't agree. And one of the elders spoke up and said, I think we should pray about it. And another guy said, has it really come to that? And I, I think about that, and I think, ah, oh, that's just a microcosm of our lives. There is so much we feel like we can do on our own. There is, there is so much we get fooled into thinking we can handle it. You know what? I think we just should stop and pray. Oh, has it really come to that? <laughs> like, like, come on, don't you think we can still just handle this on our own? I thought, wow, we're sold that lie from Satan. God wants us to be humbly dependent on him all the time for everything and in every situation. Nehemiah demonstrated this in, in chapter 6 also. He, he's facing more, um, more opposition from Sanballat. And uh, so they, Sanballat and his friends decided that they were going to try to assassinate, try to kill Nehemiah. And they had this assassination plot. They were going to invite him to come in, and then they were going to ambush him when he was in there, and they were going to kill him to a certain spot. And uh, Nehemiah politely refused. He said he couldn't really go to the meeting. Um, here, so Sambalit says, basically, come, let us meet together in one of our villages. And uh, this, is, this is what uh, Nehemiah says. So I sent a messenger to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go to you? Basically said, I'm too busy. Kill me another time. I have too much going on. I can't afford to die right now, so maybe later. Um, when that didn't work, they tried to blackmail him. And in verse 6, it says, uh, this is what they said. Uh, Sambalit said, it, it is reported among the nations that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. So basically he said, we're going to tell the Persian king about your insurrection. And he's going to come down here and he's going to mow you guys down. So here's what Nehemiah replied in verse 8. He said, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your own head. 
they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get weak for the work and it will not be, ple- be completed. This is the one. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Hmm. I'm humbled. I'm, I'm, I'm challenged by Nehemiah's constant turning to prayer. An opportunity to rebuild the wall comes. He prays. A chance to talk to the king. The king says, what's going on? He prays. He's feeling opposition from people who don't want the wall to be done. He prays. There's continued opposition, and his men are losing morale. He prays. God, strengthen our hands. There are numerous other times in in the book of Nehemiah where we see this, where, where Nehemiah humbly prays. And I believe that's one of the characteristics of people who not only are willing, but also go on to do great things for God. They recognize their humble dependence on God. I think prayer is probably the most underutilized, underappreciated piece of the Christian walk. Uh, We're going to start a a series on prayer next Sunday, and I'm so excited about it because I feel like as followers of Jesus, we we have resources from God that we don't fully realize through prayer. And I want us to learn a little more about prayer and how it's used and how we can use it and what God intended through prayer. I think it's, it's underutilized. So that, that's next week. Nehemiah obviously realized that. Not only do we, do we need to humbly recognize our dependence on God through prayer, but secondly, and I think Nehemiah did a great job of illustrating this too, uh, courageously confront those disobeying God. I think this is the harder of the three. This is the hardest one for me. So not only do we need to be men and women of prayer, humbled on our knees before God, but we need, this, we need to be willing to identify sin, call it sin, and have loving, hard conversations. Nehemiah does this over and over again. This is one that I think Nehemiah could have got away with not doing. He had excuses. Dude, I'm busy. You see the wall we're trying to build? <laughs> I got a thousand people around here asking me advice. I, need, I don't have time. Fine, let them, let them go. Yeah, did you know that so-and-so? No, no, no. Whatever. Fine. I'm working on a wall. But he didn't. He, he confronted sin. In chapter 5, uh, verse 1, here's what it says. Now, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to feed, to eat and stay alive, we must get grain Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards 
belong to others. So here's what was happening. Some of the rich nobles and officials were taxing their fellow Jews. So they had put a tax on all of their land and all of their produce so that the, the men and women who were working on the wall didn't have enough money to pay the tax. And so when they didn't have enough money, the nobles and officials would then just take their land. And when that was gone and they didn't have enough money, the nobles and officials would enslave these people's children. Now, this is a tough one because it wasn't illegal. By Persian law, it wasn't illegal to charge a tax. And so they could do it. But it wasn't right based on God. So Deuteronomy 23, it says, You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother. Interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. In other words, if, if a Jew, if an Israelite <laughs> charges tax against another Israelite, God had said, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. It's not right. Nehemiah knew that. And I, I think this is the, this sounds radical probably, but this is, I think, something we need to remember. Whether something is illegal or not is less important than whether something is immoral by God's standards. There are a lot of things in this world that are legal by law standards that followers of Jesus know we should not do. There, there are plenty. So anything that's illegal by law, obviously if it doesn't, if it doesn't contradict what God said in his word, we need to obey it. But then there's another group of, of things over here that are legal, but as followers of Jesus, we know God said, don't do that. Abortions are legal. God says, don't do that. Okay, so there are plenty. Nehemiah is finding one right here where the nobles and officials are legally charging tax. And they're taking people's land and they're taking people's children as slaves. And by Persian law, that was fine. By God's law, it wasn't. So Nehemiah confronts them. Here's what it says in uh, verse 6 of chapter 5. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I said, you are charging your own people interest. So I continued... What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of Gentile enemies? So basically he says, hey, hey, this is a God thing. I'm not saying shouldn't you walk in fear of the Persians, the law on the book. No, 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 I'm saying this is God. Shouldn't you fear God? You're acting like the world. You're not acting like God would want you to, to act. Uh, verse 12, um, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. This isn't the only time. In chapter 13, uh, there are three more instances when Nehemiah specifically points out something 
Uh, Tobiah had been given a, a room that he could use in verse 4 of chapter 13 in the temple courts. And that was against God's law. So Nehemiah, it says he took all the stuff and he threw it out. And he said, nope, this is God's room. It's not how we act. It's not how we do it. He came back and he heard that the Levites, the priests, were having to go and work their fields in order to eat. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. God says something about this. God says that we provide for the Levites and the priests so that they have more time to do the work of God. And the people said, you're right. We shouldn't be doing that. We will provide for the Levites. He called them out on it. And then he called out the nobles of Judah for selling food on the Sabbath. If we want to be people of God, and people God uses to do big things, we have to be willing to confront sin. And, I, and this is a tough one because sometimes this process can go sideways. It can go sideways when I start thinking that my opinions or my personal convictions are what God said. Well, no, then, then we quickly end up being very legalistic. Um, but if God says it very clearly, then I think we need to say, oh, that, that's the standard. How, seems like you're missing. Seems, seems like there's sin there. I, I, wrote, I wrote this down. Where, where we sometimes get in trouble on this one is when we start confronting people for our own opinions and our own convictions and not God's standards. I think, uh, I think we also sometimes begin making small moral compromises out of convenience. And we forget that it really isn't about how much I hate sin. It's about how much God hates sin sin. And I think those are two very different. My, my moral compromises or my, ah, shucks, just sweep it under the carpet. That, that's not always how God feels about it. In fact, God never feels that way. <laughs> this has very little to do with what I personally feel like is a good thing or a right thing. It has everything to do with how God feels about it. And if I love what God loves and if I hate what God hates, confronting somebody about how they're living is much easier. Because it's not a standard I'm making that I want them to live for. It's a standard God made. It means we have to know the Bible, too. Because if we don't know what God said, it surely is hard even for us to live that way. Now, I think this point was made easier. I think consistently confronting when, when there was sin in the camp was much easier for Nehemiah because of how he lived. And that's point three. Not only do we need to be humbly prayerful in our lives, not only do we need to and, and show a dependence on God, not only do we need to confront sin when we see it, but, but we need to consistently live with integrity in everything we do. And Nehemiah was amazing at this. Um, he, he lived the way he knew he should live. Um, in fact, he lived 12, he worked 12 years uh, stayed around after the, the wall had been built, and he didn't take any money from the government. It says he fed 150 people at his table every day. 
killed one ox, six sheep, and a bunch of chickens every day to feed the 150 people. Just giving, just providing for a bunch of people who couldn't provide for themselves. Isn't that the kind of people we want to be? People who live the way God wants them to live, even when nobody's watching. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, our, our mission on life, my mission in life is not to be a delivery driver. It's not to change diapers. It's, it's not to work in a nursing home. It's, it's not to do computer code. Our mission in life is to make more and better disciples of Jesus. That's our mission in life. Now, each of us has a role in this life that may be one of those things I listed. But God just wants us to do those things in a way that pleases him so that we can make more and better disciples of Jesus. That's the mission. And sometimes I think I, think I get, I think I forget. And I start thinking that my mission is to lead Bridgewater Church, or my mission is to do, do something like that. Before being a pastor, I was in business, and it's, well, it's just to grow a business, to grow the business, to be profitable. And, and I think God gives us all of those things in our lives, and I'm appreciative of those, but he really just wants us to leverage those positions to make more and better disciples. I'm a foster parent now. That's not an end in itself. God wants me to make more and better disciples. Now, he may use this in my life to help me prepare humbly as I pray, <laughs> confronting sin, living with integrity. But he wants me to leverage that foster parent position for the kingdom to make more and better disciples. I think Nehemiah did a great job of that. He was a, a wall builder but you know what? That was an end of and of itself. He, he, was, he was not just a wall builder to be a wall builder. He was building into people's lives, making more and better disciples throughout the whole process. If you're, if you're looking for somebody to study in leadership, you should do a case study on Nehemiah. Fascinating. Fascinating man. The things he did. How, how in the world do you recruit a thousand people or more to build a wall in a foreign country that you have to go there, you have no houses there. You talk about crazy. And he did it. He pulled it off. And he was godly. And God used him to do amazing things in people's lives. If we want to be used to make a huge difference for God, we've got to be men and women of prayer. My question is, how do you do at that? Is that a discipline in your life that you would say, I think I'm there. I think I've got it. People should look at my life and learn how to pray. I need to work on that one. Dependence on God. So that, so that I'm not just saving up the big prayers for God, but I'm talking to him about everything. What about calling sin, sin? Both in my own life, but in other people's lives who are followers of Jesus. How do I do on that? That's a hard one. I don't like doing that. I know, but wrong is wrong even if everybody does it. 
And right is right even if nobody does it. My mom used to tell me that. And then finally, uh, how are we doing living lives of integrity before God? Doing what's right because God says to do it. But it's legal. I know, but what did God say? This, this sermon was hard for me. Um, it, was a, it was a hard sermon because I feel like all three of those I need work on. I need to work on being a man of prayer. I need to, you know, that 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I'm not there yet. There are parts of my life that I don't do to the glory of God, and I should. It's way more than being willing. Once we're willing, God just wants to work on our lives and make us into the people he wants us to be. Let him. Please let him. Don't fight it. Let's pray. Father, I, um, I pray that you'd help us. Um, well, I, I, I want to back up. I want to thank you for what you did at Vacation Bible School. Thank you for those who are willing to build into the lives of our children for the week. Um, thank you for giving us an opportunity to talk to little kids about Jesus. But then the second part of that is, I, I, God, I really want us in this room to be a group of people that, that children can look at and, and copy. I, I want us to be men and women of God, uh, godly not, not just surveyors or builders, but, but godly first. Godly men and women who also teach during the week. Godly men and women who also work at a job during the week. And I know you want us to be men and women of prayer, and I pray that you'd help us do that. But help, help us to live lives of integrity, God. Please help us call sin, sin, and not not cower away from responsibilities you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.